Hey, Ira. Hey, how's it going? I, 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 Ida. Ida. <laughs> Aida. Maybe not Aida. But... <laughs> Aida. Oh, I need a holiday. That's what I need. Welcome to episode number four of GCP Life, a podcast where we talk about GCP and tech. Today's sponsor is Kasna, and I'm your host, Stephen Bancroft. On today's show, Google spends up big, but somehow they're still in debt. Find out what's going on at Macquarie Bank. We talk about how Google's invested in the environment, and we get skilled up with some badges. But before we get to any of that, I want to introduce the co-host today, Ira Bailey. How are you going, Ira? I'm very good, thanks. And today we have a special guest who may join us a little bit more in the future. It's Troy Beebe. How are you going, Troy? G'day, how are you going? Good, 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 good. Uh, how's everyone's day been today? Hot. Bit hot. Busy. Hot and busy. All right, two things we don't want. Unless it, unless it's hot and relaxed and sitting by a beach, then that's that's pretty nice. Yeah, that's what it should be. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's the only place it should be hot. Um, yeah, all right. Look, today's show is chock-a-block with full of stuff. And um, I, uh, guys, I, I'm looking to buy a video card. I, I, I know I've complained about this before on the show, but... Um, they're really expensive at the moment. I don't know if, if you looked into it, but you're not, you're not, those crypto miners, they're going nuts on them. But I've heard that uh, there's going to be a new uh, NVIDIA re-releasing the 2060 GTX as a 12 gig model. So hmm. if anyone's in the market for a video card, I'm sure our audience probably is, and just hang out for that. 7th of December, I've heard. I'm certainly going to be looking at that one. Uh, I like the idea of it being 12 gig. Uh, DDR5, as far as I'm aware. 2060 should be enough. You know, like I've said before, I've only got one game I want to play, and I want to play it in movie mode. So, which game is that? A new card, uh, War Thunder. I love uh, a, I love a good bit of War Thunder. I need a whole new rig. I've, I've been, you know, there's always more stuff on the horizon coming out, and you're just always putting it off. But there's so many good games now. Yeah, there are. Yeah, and I think this card will do it. And apparently, it's a, it's going to be gimped for crypto mining, so it won't be so uh, attractive. Uh, the the low hash rate. I think yeah, exactly, model, yeah. yeah. So this could be the one that 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 does it, uh, that, that breaks the, the back of what's going on at the Which moment. Nice. Edit to the mortgage. Uh, <laughs> hey guys, did you hear about this one? Um, they they want to. Um, <laughs> this almost made me laugh. They want to uh, re-release the one twenty seven zero 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 range to be used for unicast addresses. I can't see any problem with that. No problems with uh, local laptops and, I mean. Oh, oh, okay, honestly, has have either of you ever used more than one local loopback address? Uh, yes. Yeah, I've I done think. it once. I had to do it once for a local uh, database thing, but would you, and it was only two addresses. Okay, besides the DNS thing, uh, the, the thing that's done with system D, would you need another address? The things like Docker wouldn't. Grab extra local loopbacks uh, and use those uh, separate. Yeah, but they're using the ports, aren't they? Docker would be using the ports rather than. Well, I suppose you could use it, but anyway, the proposal is not to use the full range. Uh, they they say they want to use because currently we have one twenty seven slash eight. They just use the whole things reserved. Oh, they want the upper range. They just, they just want the upper range. Yeah, 
Yeah. But Confusing. still think of all the firmware and all the little boxes out there that just just re- just reject that traffic on that range. Yeah, it seems or it's just, oh, that's totally fine. We'll just let that through. That's local traffic. Bypass the firewalls. Well, IPv6 is definitely making big inroads, right? That's gonna. That's definitely going to happen in the next. It's just like Fusion. It's always. You've been saying that for 10 yeah, years, Troy. It's like, it's like Fusion power. Years. It's always. It's, it's like five, five to, ten to 10 years. years. It's five to 10 years away. IPv6. Five to 10 years away. It's all so happening. Five to 10 years away. Well, all I know is that... Uh, Whenever there's a you know an IP stack problem, that's the first thing you switch off. Mm. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so there it is. Yeah, the purpose of this document is to reduce the size of the special case reservation of one twenty seven eight, so that only one twenty seven dot zero slash sixteen is reserved as a local loopback network. So mm. there's still going to be some there. So things like Docker can work. Yeah. And the odd kind, the odd time when you need that one extra, it's there. Um. One other little thing we wanted to talk about, um, Ira. Apparently, um, apparently that's not right. Please explain. <laughs> uh, yes. <coughs> yeah, my the way you pronounce my name is Ira. Bit of a rolled. Uh, yeah, it's a Maori Ida. name. Yes. As in I D A, just I D A. Uh, yeah, but spelled I R A, but Ira. You can hear it Ida. slightly. There's a little mini rolled R in there. Sounds like E R D A to me. Yida. Yeah, it's. Need some phonetic spelling. E R D A. And what's the origin of that, Ida? So I'm a twin, and so my father's full name is Rangamaida, which means the source of peace. And the Rangamai part is peace, and the Ida part is like the source of stuff. So yeah, it's a Maori name. Um, It took me. 20 years to actually learn how to pronounce it correctly. Um, yeah, because my father passed away when I was really young, so no native Maori speakers in my family. So, um, yeah, it took a while well, before someone was like, oh, you're saying your name wrong, which was a bit, <laughs> a bit tricky. Ah, well, there we go. All right, well, it's going to take me a little bit of a while, a little bit to get used to. Ida. Um, Ida. Yeah, so, Ida. Yeah, I might. yeah, yeah, great. Well, I might drop and, the the whole pronunciation every now and, and Steve, then. And Steve, you you pronounce your name S- Stephen or is it Banky? I can't remember who. <laughs> Banky, Stephy. Banky's acceptable right, okay. <laughs> amongst my work colleagues. Yes, and I'm a Stephen with a PH, which is the traditional spelling. I might add. Yes, the correct the traditional correct. spelling. Yeah, exactly. Now, Troy, we've got you on the show for the first time here, and I'm going to make it a thing. I'm going to make it a tradition. You know, this is, this is the first time of the tradition. We always do this now. Mm. Guests to the show have to bring us an IT or tech horror story. And, what have you got for us? A, I'm sure you've got a, a horror story that happened to me that I'm responsible for or that hap- that somebody did well, to me it, or something yeah i mean if it's something you've done i mean that's great as well we love a bit of self-deprecation well, around yeah here. i think both are uh, self-deprecating yeah i've got one at least is which is you know back in the telstra days and, and in fact you probably believe it or not since we worked together maybe remember some of this but yeah i it was in the early days of um you know uh, running Linux on on servers in as web servers back in back in the day, and um, I was in production, you know, just just ship it straight to prod and did do an accidental RM minus RF, I think against like VAR, 
which was which was not <laughs> great and had to try and recover from that. But um, I'm not sure how far out it got in terms of like what I'd actually done or I'd sort of been like, oh, it must have been a disc error, you know, must have must have lost a couple of discs or something. Corruption. So that was a that was my first and only RM-RF into production that I'm aware of. So I've, I'm, I may very well have done other ones which I was not aware of. Um, yeah, so that's a one that was was challenging. The other the other big one was also in I can probably disclose in Telstra, but this was you know ten years ago maybe. Um, yeah, where we found a, a Java servlet bug which was switching customer um, uh, uh, sessions. Um, so we had to actually escalate that all the way back up to the developers, and it was a real big nightmare for production you know, deployment, not great when you've got uh, Java apps that are, you know, swapping your, your session token uh, between You people. know, I think I vaguely remember, remember that one. Yeah. I would have been in operations at the oh. time. <laughs> yeah. And I remember f- wearing the fallout oh, did from you? that bug. Yeah, we, blamed, <laughs> yeah. oh, we definitely blamed ops. Yeah. Ops must be yeah. going and switching the tokens. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's For what sure. we do. We've got nothing right. better to sit around. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was a tough one. Uh, it took a little while to debug, yeah. but um, uh, actually satisfying in the end. So not necessarily a horror story. Horror story for the you know users had their sessions swapped. Um, you know, very bad no no. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I mean, if speaking of bad no nos, I heard. Did you see recently at npm? You could uh, actually just they just fixed a bug in npm where you could push any uh, uh, any npm package unauthorized unauthenticated <laughs> i didn't see the story uh, no yeah. wow link it in the show notes but i don't know how far out like it's gotten picked up by the media but it, it looked like a really bad bug that was very quietly maybe uh, oh. uh swept under the rug yeah wow okay that could have been so a problem. now all those financial but- services firms that are you know mandating you know always using local mirrors that are scanned. I guess that makes sense. Well, potentially. That's right. I mean, if they if they're pulling npm modules yeah. down, yeah, then they could put pulling down anything, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I guess a quick one for me, just from this morning, I you know, had a had a problem. Everyone's dealt with it. You know, some some buggy PHP code and uh, too many too many WordPress plugins, and the, the thing just doesn't cope. There was some some extra demand on there in the FPM module that was running FPM in Nginx, right. and uh, I, I, I never quite put my finger on it. I, I assume it was doing some dodgy queries, some long-held queries, or there's some PHP code in there that was problematic. I, I tried deleting all the plugins and all the rest of it, couldn't get to the bottom of it. Anyway, I ended up using the, the, the load balancer to, yeah, rate limit the connections to it, and all works now processes that it does eventually process each of the queries that come in um it's just it was it was getting too many coming in at once and mm. you know controlling the flow using a, a, a google cloud load balancer saved the day nice. yeah so all right guys let's crack on with it um a big story we want to talk about is the um the spend google is spending some bucks and we had in australia uh, in Australia, and they had we had we had Scomo there, Scomo. and we had the big announcement. We had the, we had the we had the big announcement from everyone. Um, P, uh, Pinchai was there. Uh, they call it Google's biggest investment in Australia. It's 
It's $1 billion over One five billion. years. One billion dollars, <laughs> exactly. The Digital Future Initiative. What do you guys think of this? What were your thoughts? Well, I thought it was hilarious that later they had to come back and, well, what got, what came back is that the Melbourne data center is included in that spend. So it's in <laughs> fact only, what, 700 million Did, or something. Instead. Yeah, that was about 300 yeah, million, yeah, wasn't right. it? That's good, yeah. it's a good way yeah. of like accounting being like, oh, yeah, we, we, we're investing. Which, I mean, they are. That is an investment in Australia, I suppose. Yeah, it's still, it's not not chump change. It's still 700 yeah. mil. It definitely, it's there to yeah. make them directly money, I suppose. The other 700, I'm assuming, is going to go into actual investments in, in other areas. Yeah, well, the, the Innovation Hub, I don't know yeah. how much they would have spent there. Yeah. I mean, it's just a building it's just a building at the moment, I guess. They're not, not really doing much. They've probably got cheap rent on it at the moment anyway. Um, and, uh, some, uh, they specifically called out CSIRO. Mm -hmm. So I would imagine there's going to be some sort of, you know, innovation works and, you know, inventive works that happen there. Mm. I think there's a big push for, you know, quantum computing as well. I think there's a bit of a Mm. tick, um, uh, I guess a lot of skills in Australia around that as well, especially quantum engineering, I think, which is in Queensland uni. Is there a whole field on that? Um, yeah, Macquarie, Macquarie Uni do have a, a quantum computing programming and uh, program. I believe they want to try and get in partner with them. Well, they may already be. I, I don't know. Mm. The more the more investment they can actually, you know, uh, bring forward, I think that's actually going to help them a lot. Being the third cloud, you know, showing that there's commitment. Uh, I think in the early days, people were like, "Well, is Google going to stick around? You know, what's what's sort of going to happen? Are they just testing the waters?" But I think that will help. I think we're seeing that in the market, if you ask me as well, in terms of like interest in GCP and, um, you know, take up. Anyway, we'll keep an eye on it, guys. Um, I'm sure that uh, GCP have got, you know, they've got plenty more things that they want to, uh, plenty more initiatives they want to take up. And uh, hopefully a little bit of work will come Kasner's way. That's what we hope out of all of that. Um, all right, guys. Let's move on to the next item here. Now, Ira, you um, you wanted you had you had a look at this Macquarie Bank thing. What's going on in Macquarie Bank at the moment? From what I can tell, they're you know branching onto Google Cloud, and they're um, the interestingly, the story is talking around the um, use of uh, Kubernetes operators to manage cloud infrastructure. Um, kind of the standard way to do it now is with Terraform, um, which is kind of, you've got to, it's not really uh, run kind of constantly. It's not a real-time thing. It's just like when you do deployment, you check to see the state and see if anything's changed. The way operators work is that they are basically constantly running and always interrogating your cloud infrastructure. And if they see any change, they'll just change it back straight away. So um, it's kind of their additional layer of um, kind of active response to any changes in your environment instead of, you know, two weeks later, someone does a prod change and then it's like, oh, everything's changed from what I thought was there. So, yeah, it's, it's really good to see. Um, I've tried them out a few bits. We're never kind of in production, I'd say, um, other than I think we use Anthos Config Manager, which is kind of similar operator, but not, not for things like Cloud SQL or anything else. Um, no infra. Right, so to build this operator, is that how do you build this operator? Is it a set of rules you define, or is that built up front? How does that? Well, it's kind of a model that you can you can use it for anything. Um, so you just 
basically say here's the state that you want something to be at and then this operator will go off and try and make that that could be um it could be anything could you could point at some data and say this data needs to be this particular way or yeah yeah anything you can write it in whatever you want as long as you follow the kubernetes model yeah you can APIs. you can think of uh, the operator as like a the demon in a in a in a linux or unix sort of box doing system stuff um uh, maintaining state uh, and then you've got your workloads or your namespaces which are I guess uh, process spaces where your applications actually run but if you had a daemon actually running doing you know uh, telnet D managing or, or sshd accepting sessions an operator functions like that for the cluster for kube cluster it's got system level responsibilities as well as permissions Right, so it's running all the time, and it's 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 constantly checking between this desired state and the target state. Yep. Backwards and forwards, backwards yep. and forwards. Right. Okay. Yeah. Whereas, as you said, uh, I don't. Um, if it was Terraform, you're only running Terraform periodically, and there may have been a change in the interim. Yeah, and um, so normally yep. these operators are running in their target that they're kind of watching. Uh, Kubernetes resources and this model kind of takes it further out so the the resources that the operator is watching are outside the cluster and the external things so um, you have to I guess manage that a lot better because um, there's a lot, of, a lot of things that can go wrong if you're say managing the network and all of a sudden you break the network with your operator that's not great. It removes the, a lot of the, the uh, pipeline pain you get out of the infrastructure's code typical stuff uh, that you would get with Terraform. Um, so having to manage execution against that desired state, um, that's all handled by the operator. So you just define a de desired state and then the operator is responsible for reconciliation and uh, and eventual consistency. Right, right. Yeah, so we'd, we'd, yeah, to take a quote here out of this article, it's an article from IT News. Operators using one definition are bits of code that act like an extension of an engineering team, watching over the Kubernetes environment, using its current state to make decisions in real time. Hmm. So it's a bit of smart. Yeah, I, I think there's a probably a bigger discussion we should have about it, truthfully, because it's it's sort of a paradigm shift from infrastructure as code to moving towards um, config as data. Um, so treating treating desired state um instead of managing all that code you'd have in terraform and this you know state being then separate in a bucket or somewhere you're you're basically just have your operator just to find your state and then just deliver it to that to that operator um so it's a it is a paradigm shift it's got it changes some of the workflows and and what what people are doing today with with sort of terraform management and and potentially some of the complexities i think there's pros and cons and it's just uh starting to take off i think or starting to get a lot of it uh, a lot more interest all right cool well um links there in the show notes take a read of that um and you'll find out what macquarie bank is all up to with uh their kubernetes operators um moving on to um some more google spend um google has launched a second bare metal solution zone in sydney this is on um, my my home ground, um, and what I found interesting about this, um, 
So Google Cloud launched a second zone in its bare metal solution being met since Sydney to increase its capability to run specialized workloads. Take a quote from this article. Um, Some Oracle technologies that can run on the platform include Oracle Rack, DataGuard, and Recovery Manager. Google Cloud also touts BMS as a stepping stone to exit Oracle before moving to a managed database cloud spanner or cloud SQL. This really sounds to me like they're making a strong move on Oracle Cloud here or Oracle in general. Yeah, it's a huge amount of, um, you know, anybody that's got Oracle Rack is going to want multi-zone because they're going to have, they're going to need, you know, um, it's going to be their primary system of record or something like that. So to prevent, what's preventing them from going into cloud is, you know, A, Oracle licensing, but also B, uh, redundancy. And well, that makes to, them want to get out of click. Well, <laughs> yeah. I guess if you've got, you know, you've got four four hundred thousand stored procs that you that you manage out of that, that that runs your whole business and things like that. I guess. Yeah, yeah. But um, the vendor on the same day also announced it hired former VM exec Alistair Dice as vice president for the Australian for Australia New Zealand. He leads the company's go to market strategy, relationship building, and operational ex- execution locally. So yeah, they're putting some big guns for mm. it. Um, certainly, um, yeah, it must have spent up big time. Um, and I think uh, this also might be for um, GVM uh, uh, Google VMware on GCVE as well as a second yeah. um, zone for GCVE. Is that right? So you can have you can have that multiple. Would, that would make yeah, s- separate. That would absolutely make yeah, sense. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Making that redundant as well as we've seen. Yeah. That, yep. uh, that, yeah, that, that would be very, very popular um, mm. amongst people that want to move to VM in the VMware. Although, you know, my personal opinion on GCVE is that that's really just a stepping stone, right? I mean, if people are on VMware now on-prem and they want to get into the cloud, then that's sort of the quickest and easiest way. You just move everything in GCVE. Mm. And then they can sort of take a, you know, a dissecting pattern and sort of pull everything apart and move it into microservices in mm-hmm. the cloud. Yep. Yeah. That's kind of how it's. Yeah, yeah. But I guess they don't want to, uh, similar to Oracle, you know, if you're moving off of Oracle as well, you don't want to sacrifice um, uh, your redundancy potentially. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that they're going to need a second zone, of course, to do that. Yeah. We'll see if there are any more initiatives like that come out of them. But, um, Going from spending to losing, <laughs> um, article here from Forbes, um, Google Cloud may have won the latest round of its battles against Amazon Web Services. This is from the 18th of November. Um, this article mentions um, Google's revenue and how much in the hole they are, um, which is sort of counter to what we just heard, right? As a result, Google Cloud's revenue... Well, I'll start at the top of the article here. Uh, so it, so following on from the, the, the point we were just making about the, the Oracle, um, you know, the, the Oracle push, uh, this article does take a quote um, from Google saying, it's really important to continue as actors we're insurgents and not to act as like we're incumbents, he said. Um, and then further on, it goes down to say... As a result, Google Cloud revenue grew 45% um, over the year in Q3 21 with 
4.99 billion in sales. By comparison, Amazon Web Services generated 16.11 in sales by a growth of 39% over the year. But unlike Google Cloud, AWS made 4.8 billion. Google Cloud is still unprofitable for the tech giant, with the with the unit posting an operating loss of 6.44 million, which is about what they are about to spend. Interestingly enough, that's worldwide. So you've got one hand. Worldwide, of course, yeah, yeah, and uh, which I don't know. I mean, how long they've been? How long we've been around now with Google Cloud? Two thousand and eight, right? Yeah, in terms of investment, they sort of uh, really sort of spun up. Really, only probably four years ago, I would say, maybe. Uh, and and they didn't have an Australian much Australian presence, but yeah, I mean, I think even like a feature set, and then you know, sort of look broader, like just around uh, the sales capacity and organization uh, the number of people that, that it's required to sort of penetrate into the enterprise uh, which you know Amazon sort of had first mover advantage so they didn't have to have a huge sales staff and but as that incumbent or sorry as the incumbent but as the insurgent yeah you've really got to fight your way into a lot of accounts and to to so it requires sales and a lot more staff to cover yeah, that yeah to be that insurgent yeah. yeah and as we've seen from the previous article that's right and to be really aggressive with things so i thought that was an interesting uh juxtaposition to point out how you know they're, they're, they're clearly spending money but they uh they know that they're they're behind the eight ball in a lot of areas yeah i think um, i think um maybe a couple of years ago they were given i think five years to basically try and get into the number two position um and i think that gave them a freedom to kind of sit making a deficit for as much as they can and for the next few years, I think. So they're just going to keep spending to try and get there. It's a bit tricky with how far ahead is Euro as well, comparatively on market share. But it depends on the market, I guess. When you... All right, cool, guys. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about... Um, oh, I, I, we, we had COP26 on recently, right? And uh, it's all, all about the environment, everything. Um, and, and Google have shown um, a little bit of um, – there have been a few things lately that came out. I think one of the things in um, Google Next was their, their green data center. So now when you, when you build something in, the, in, the, in the, uh, the Google Cloud console, you get, a little, uh, you get a little green leaf next to the data center that are uh, carbon offset. Um, so you can you can choose to be you know um, environmentally friendly by your cloud by the the you know what whatever you build in the cloud, um, and this article came out. This is in uh, Daji World, I think it's an Indian thing. Um, they're talking about um, you know world leaders committed to averting the worst consequences of climate change. And it was mentioned. It says it was eleven years ago at top at COP sixteen that the tech giant Google unveiled Google Earth, an Earth observation platform that combines a multi-petabyte catalogue of satellite imagery and geospatial data sets with powerful analyst capabilities. And for over a decade now, scientists and researchers have used it to detect changes, map trends, and quantify differences on Earth's surface. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever played with this, and maybe the listeners can as well, but it gives you a time lapse over the last, like, 20 years of glaciers or or deforestation and it is quite amazing when you look at some of these areas i think it goes back to yeah 1984 so it's quite a big range of time there 
Yeah, and all that all that data is free as well, and and has been used by science, you know, scientists and you know researchers for for years as well, which is great. Um, you know, I I I don't know. I probably should have seen this before, but I hadn't seen it before, and I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I thought it would be timely, given that we just had COP twenty six. My my question would be, what are the other providers doing uh, similarly? Are they also providing sort of offsets or or information about you know the data center and how much your your footprint is and ability to offset? Yeah, let's find out. Why don't we find out? Hey, I'm pretty sure AWS is doing nothing. So, well, I can't I can't imagine that they would have this sort of data. Yeah, yeah, you know this is pretty significant as as per the the article you know the article is saying there multi-petabyte catalog of satellite imagery who else would have that yeah the, certainly that but I, i'm wondering about like the the offset you know the little green leaf he said will, will the oh yeah 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 well, maybe we mm. need to ask around internally in some of our mental group guys and yeah. see if uh they 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 other you know other cloud providers are doing similar i think mm. they have five regions that they offset in and all the other ones aren't offset mm. so right. yeah so if you want to offset you can deploy into those ones which is us west GovCloud, europe frankfurt uh central in canada and ireland yeah look another little little uh, feather in the cap there i think for for google Google Cloud, if, if they're the only ones doing it, then, uh, you know, good on them. Someone's got to lead the charge and at least make an attempt, as we say. Now, um, I want to talk about this next item, which is um, an interesting video that uh, Network Chuck. Now, I don't know if any of our listeners uh, watch Network Chuck on YouTube. He's a, a pretty prominent YouTuber, network tech guy. Um, He's got about two million subscribers. I think he gets about a hundred. He gets about a million views per video. Um, he posted a video recently talking about uh, Google Cloud badges, uh, and he's gushing about the fact that um, you can go. You can sign. Well, right now you can go and you can sign up, and you can get a thirty-day free access to obtain. Some, do as many Google Cloud badges as you like. Um, what's a Google Cloud badge? Well, basically a Google Cloud, to get a Google Cloud badge, um, they put you into a simulated environment where you uh, get given an objective and you need to complete that objective and then it runs some tests on that environment and gives you a pass or a fail. You get the pass, you get the badge. Uh, gives you a URL to the badge and you can put the badge on your LinkedIn or wherever you like. Um, so what, what it actually does is it, it's confirming that you can actually do the thing that you're claiming mm. to do. Is this um, going to replace certification, can... do you think? Well, uh, I, I think I did hear, now you, I think you mentioned to me about Looker. Well, yeah, the, um, what we've heard is that the Looker cert is, or the, the, it has been separate. Obviously Looker was a separate, uh, company got bought by Google uh, it did have its own certification process. Now, if that'll move into the professional certs, we don't know, but they are uh, bringing out the sort of badge thing or the skill sort of badge thing. So it, it might mean that you've got more, you know, uh, segments of skill that you that you qualify for, or maybe you have to have a bunch and then those roll up into a cert. I don't know. 
hasn't actually been released, won't be released till next year, I don't think. That is interesting, mm. isn't it? You you take the skills challenge on your own clock and then you get 10 or 20 of them and then that, that becomes, the you know, you, yeah. you, the cert. Yeah, you develop a cert or yeah. whatever it is. Hmm. Um, is it better? Um, it's, I, I guess it, it probably, it's probably better in one sense whereby it, it, you know, there's always this contention between do I just remember something parrot fashion or do I actually need to know it in yep. depth, right? And, and actually being able to implement it in, in an environment means you actually do genuinely know it. I remember I took the uh, REL 300, which is the Red Hat Certified Engineer exam, uh, you know, years ago I took that exam. And, and this is exactly what it was. You had to, you had to, this wasn't just a sit down paper thing. You had to implement on a box what they ask you to implement and the examiner would come over and, and check it. Yeah, the kube certs are like that. Right, so they're just automating that process in a way here. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. We we yeah, had right. we had kicked off sort of kicked around here Kazna uh, Cloud Wars, which would be sort of similar, where it's kind of like just a gamified, um, sort of quick labs that you would do normally now, but but gamified, so it will check and say, oh, you haven't actually done it. There are, I mean, there's there's some of that in quick labs now. I think it's like check my environment. You click that. And it, yes, I think these badges have evolved right. out of Quick Labs. That's yeah, right. So now it's a lot yeah. more checking a lot more parameters probably and checking you actually have set it up. And I, I agree, Steve, there's like a way, you know, there's like being able to click through stuff. Does that actually mean you know it as well to advise somebody else on what to do? The difference between, you know, data store and big table, for example, would would by just implementing big table in, in a Quick Lab give you enough background on the theory behind Bigtable to understand enough. But I, I'm assuming oh, these skill badges will try and cover that theory aspect as well, not just the, as you said, like sort of the rote point and click or... Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Need, need a bit of both that theory and practice. Mm. You really, really don't know something unless you've got in there and you've had, I think, a legitimate problem with it. When you're actually trying to solve an issue and you're forced to dive into, you know, exactly what's going on with it. And, and then you know that one little piece, right? It's really hard to sort of go, well, for me anyway, this is, this is my experience to say, here's a subject, you know, it's so broad, go and know all of this stuff. Well, give me a problem mm. or give me a solution and then I'll, I'll dive into that one thing and then I'll know that, you know, sort of deep and narrow. Yep. Um, how do you... How do you test that? And, and, and you know, the, the skills, the skill challenges obviously are going for that deep and narrow thing. Mm. Um, you just have to do a lot of those, I guess. <laughs> a lot of skills challenges. Yep. Yep. Then there's the broad, you know, do you, as a solution architect, let's say, or, or data engineer, being able to look at, you know, will they have that sort of, can you, can you draw a full pipeline sort of end to end? Uh, but yeah, should be interesting. All right, but yeah, I'm going to give this mm. a go. Um, still trying to get my developer cert at the moment, but uh, if I get enough time and um, you know, towards the end of the year, maybe I'll give these a go. Mm. All right, and this last item, guys. I look. This is this is a bit of a 
bit of a tangent and it's uh, not strictly related to Google, but it's something that's affecting all of us um, and it is work related. And it's something that absolutely fascinates me what's going on. It's, it's this idea of the great resignation. Um, my understanding of it is um, we've come out post-pandemic. Everyone's been working from home. Everyone realizes, you know, there's something better on the other side of the fence or whatever. And they're kind of, everyone's now kind of saying, well, do I want to do what I was doing before? Do I really want to work for this employer? Do I, do I want to continue the way I've continued, I've been continuing? And I think this is quite um, relevant for us in Mantle Group, you know, because Mantle was just voted the, um, the number one great place to work. And it, it really is a great place to work. I don't have a jobs item today, but um, yeah, you should look us up for jobs. Um, so I think it's kind of relevant to us because my personal feeling at the moment is I, I, don't, I don't need to go anywhere. I don't need to resign. I don't need to go and get a new job. But there is a lot of people out there that have that sentiment at the moment. Yep. You guys see oh, this? Yeah. How do you, what do you, are you guys as fascinated with this as I am? <laughs> I mean, I did like anthropology and sociology at uni, so I'm always very interested in big weird things that are happening. So um, I think it's yeah. quite uh, particularly in the US, it's, it's like the, you know, quit rate, I think is for the last month was 3% of the entire working population quit their jobs in the last month. Wow. So um, I had a quick look at what Australia's, you know, quit rate. Um, and that that's only, I guess, 75% over the year. And that's actually the lowest it's been since 1975. <laughs> wow. Since the records began. So right, it's so actually not happening in Australia so as much as it's happening in the US. Huh, I haven't find that more. That just makes more questions. That just introduces more questions than answers. Yeah. I think my thought about that was that, you know, they had, they were still quite open, but people were still being paid to kind of not work as well. So you had a kind of choice to kind of shop around. Um, yeah, and I think there's, uh, yeah, for Australia, yeah, it's not, yeah, it hasn't really hit so much as well. No, do you think our pandemic payments, I think you touched on it just then, would that be a contributor to that? I mean, that's kept people in their, in their jobs uh, and then they've just gone back to yeah, normal and I think the, uh, you know, at a, the, the minimum wage in Australia is, you know, double kind of what it would be in, Austra in the US. So you, and you're not kind of living yeah. kind of yeah. from tip to tip for a lot of people in the US who are working kind of that kind yeah, of yeah. lower level. Yeah. I suppose there are different factors in the US such as that that would, would make it, um, you know, more of an effect there than, than here. But um, it's, it's the opposite. I, I just find it would be the opposite of what you would think mm -hmm. would happen. Why would, why would people want to quit their jobs um, when, they're, when, they're, when they're desperate for work? But the thing is, I guess as we come out of this recovery and people realise that, um, you know, there, there can be something better, then th that is exactly what's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the, the whole remote and shifting of, uh, uh, I guess, the way people work has been, yeah, pretty huge. And, yeah, now I guess people are coming a bit more out of the lockdowns, I think. Maybe the way people are being treated as well in the work is um, there's a bit of a cultural aspect to this great resignation where people are trying to find a better like work-life balance when you've gone from being at home and with mm. your family and kids to you know 40, 50 hours a week away and you're like, oh, actually, maybe I don't want to keep doing this for the next five years, you know? 
Yeah. Anyway, guys, there's a, there's a great article there from from Trello talking about it, and of course, you know, they recommend using a Trello board to organise your life. But but there are some they great some make some great points in, it. and I I just find this subject fascinating. And whenever a story comes up, I, I read about it. Um, but um, yeah, the remote work thing is, I think, just to go back to your point there, Ira is 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 definitely um, a big factor in it. I think there's a very high expectation now that. Um, you know, any workplace you go to will have a remote working policy, you know, uh, if not five days a week, you know, you know, maybe at least, at least three or four. Um, um, of course, you know, if you're using Google Cloud and, and Google, you can do all that pretty easily. It might, yeah, I was going to say it might be a bit of, um, you know, the, it's changed the culture, the, I guess the workplace culture a lot to, to be completely virtual most of the time. So most of your meetings are virtual you don't have the the you know australian economy is largely service you know white collar and service and uh, and less sort of manufacturing potentially other places in the world and um yeah australia it's interesting that australia's yeah not felt it as much that uh, like era mentioned and then and it could be because uh, of i mean there's also the lockdowns is right and you know, people probably aren't moving if there's lockdowns in terms of their but as as things are moving uh, it's sort of opening up. Will Australia see more of this sort of regu- uh, uh, resignations coming up, you know, in the new year, so January rather than when when this was sort of coming out in September? Well, I'm just thinking out loud here. You know, Australians are, are big travellers, and we haven't been able to travel. Mm. Um, maybe when when we've got the ability to go overseas, we may start to see some of this yep. affect Australia. Take take bigger times and take take some risks. Yeah, move overseas, work overseas. A lot of younger Australians do that. Um, We're definitely seeing inflation in the market, so I'm sure that that's a driver as well. You know, rates are going up, people are going to move. That's just the U.S. has, I think, been hit earlier and faster with more uh, inflation. Australians, inflation starting to really, I think, and New Zealand's getting hit pretty quick. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, guys, we might finish up on that one. That was just a bonus item for this week um, because it does affect all of us. And if you're working in Google Cloud, then you are working. So uh, it's probably affecting you. Um, Of course, don't forget to look up our YouTube channel, uh, Between Two Clouds, which features Troy Beebe and our uh, CEO, uh, Simon Poulton, um, where they shoot the breeze about Google and Google Cloud Tech. Um, you can contact us on gcplife at casna.com.au or we've got the Twitter there, gcplife. Of course, we've got our new website, gcplife.casna.com.au. And today's sponsor, of course, we're sponsored by Casna. And uh, we've got final thoughts from you guys, Troy or Ida? Uh, yeah, it was good. It's great. I'm uh, excited to hear more of the episodes and... Uh... You know, fantastic GCP life, I think. GCP life. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. It. All right, guys. Well, that's it for us for two weeks. We'll catch you then. Bye. See ya.
Det ser ut som att han är inne i bilen. Oh, ja. Ah, så okay, cool. <laughs> All right, let's take it from the dump. Yeah. Uh, and, I'm going to have some fun editing that. <laughs> and that's why you don't use the uh, go- yeah. recording through Google Meet. But yeah.